Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. This week, we're going to be breaking down Season 2, Episode 6, entitled Buddies, per the IMDb description. Crockett and Tubbs race to find a young mother and her baby when they are targeted for death by mobsters. And we open this episode at a very wildly decorated bar. There's what appears to be cow print wallpaper, wild rotating lights. This handsome gentleman, we know him as James Remar. You may know him as Richard from Sex and the City, Ajax from the Warriors, Dexter's hot dad on the first six seasons of Dexter, not the reboot that just happened. Also note that Kim Mitchell's Go For A Soda is playing, and if you're not Canadian, I will explain the significance and the meaning of that song later on after we talk about the open, because James Remar, who we learn later, his character's name is Robbie, saddles up to the bar, orders three shots. The bartender, thinking that he's waiting for someone else, pours him three shots. Robbie's telling the bartender that he just became a father, and the bartender remarks that he was also born across the street as well. And then, as Robbie starts taking those three shots, the bartender says exactly what we're all thinking. You got a nice mother? She's the sweetest, kindest, most beautiful woman I've ever known. Why? Well, because daddy ain't gonna live long drinking like that. You don't even talk to me like that, man. It's a celebration tonight, and I don't need to hear that. And you would think that the bartender just having served one patron 4.5 ounces of liquor, assuming, in a one-minute span, would be a little bit more proactive in how he is serving this customer. Spoiler alert, not at all. But they're here to celebrate Robbie's son, so Crockett comes by, turns out they're old buddies that go way back to Vietnam, actually, as they pull out a picture, which is the cover-out for this episode, of them in Vietnam, looking happy. So Crockett says that it was, quote, when they first landed. Then it gets even more emotional when Robbie asks Sonny to be the godparent to his newborn son. As they continue to order more shots, and I watched this scene very carefully because Vice of Miami podcast brought this up, As we spoke about Blackjacks earlier, and I believe it was Whatever Works, that I looked it up. It was Jack Daniels and Sambuca. Disgusting. But that aside, when we get to the bar, the bartender is pouring, again, straight scotch for a patron that's already been agitated. So the manager in me is taking a step back because I don't know what is going on at this bar. So when Sunny orders a Blackjack... I just see the bartender reach for a bottle of what appears to be Jack Daniels and then half fill the shot glass, which is funny because he's not the agitated patron. It's clearly Robbie who's already being overserved. I also circled this in the picture that I posted on the Gallery Advice and Easy podcast. You can also find it in the descriptor for today's episode. You can see six upside down shot glasses stacked on top of each other. So three on the bottom row, two on the middle row, one on the top. Please do not do this at your bar. It is incredibly annoying and the shot glasses will just be taken away anyway. You're possibly going to break one. That's a liability. It's dangerous. Please do not do this. It's incredibly annoying. But the fact that the bartender would just let these shots, these shot glasses chill 
which means that Robbie by himself has already consumed six ounces of liquor, assuming it's a 1.5 ounce serving. You've just served this gentleman nine ounces of liquor and then you're serving him another shot, but you're sure pouring his friend wild. I don't know what the reasoning or the thinking in this bar is. It gets worse. So as the song changes from Kim Mitchell's Go For A Soda, which funnily enough is a song about not getting into fights at the bar and going for a soda instead and talking it out. Robbie gets a little too excited, proceeds to dance on top of the pool table bartender not actually intervening just telling Crockett he has to deal with it one or calling security Crockett says yeah yeah I'll take care of it tries to call him down tries to call Robbie down give him all these reasons another patron's getting fit pretty fed up with Robbie pulls a gun out on him Robbie jumps down disarms this guy and has this guy down on the floor Crockett pulls his gun out state that he, states that he's police takes the patron's gun puts it in his pocket tells Robbie to back it off and I really like the advice unfortunately I didn't grab a clip of it but Sonny says you both did this dance doesn't matter who started it now it's time to go and I really like that because that is the really difficult part about getting people to break up in a fight situation they're like well I didn't do anything I should stay um, just because I was choking him out, he started it. It's like, no, you both got to go. It doesn't matter who started it. You both were in this dance, and now you got to go. And I know that is hard for people to understand that it doesn't matter who started what. You both have to leave. And I know that's the same policy in schools, that it's a zero-tolerance policy. Um, so it does suck, you know, when you finally do stand up for your bully in school, you also get in trouble. I've been there. But... It is what it is. I get it. You can't let that behavior continue and you can't. Once you give people an inch, they'll take a mile. So if you let someone stay in who started a fight, if they get into another fight, then it's on you and you're dealing with more liability, more issues, more headaches. Just don't get into fights at bars, please. It's so dangerous. Please. It is just a bad time for everybody. Go fight outside. (laughs) That's my bartender advice. If you're ordering a blackjack, make sure it's served with two different bottles, therefore two different ingredients. And if you're going to fight, go outside. So naturally, Crockett Crockett and Robbie, not really welcome back at this bar. And this is the response that Crockett gives our clever, witty one-liner king. Hey, I don't want to see you guys in here again. Yeah, yeah, we love you too. All right, and after the intro, we are at the Shelburne Hotel. And again, if you ever want to follow along with all the pictures and outfits and decor that I'm talking about, make your way to the episode description. Click down on the link to the gallery, and you can always also find it at the episode description at viceandeasypodcast.com. But let's get back to the episode. So we open up with Nogi's wife, Annie in a chartreuse cutout top, lace pants, saying that she wants to be a singer, she wants to be an agent, trying to convince her boss at the Shelbourne Hotel that she has the chops, which unfortunately when she starts singing, we realize she doesn't really. She's got the body and the moves for it, but not exactly the voice. But, you know, we can't have it all. She hears a baby crying in the dressing room. She goes in to investigate and sees this young mother with this cute little baby and she gives him, uh, she gives her the advice to pat him on the fanny to stop crying, which I think is very sweet. However, at this establishment, not everybody is super jazzed to hear a baby 
crying. What's this I hear about a baby being back here? Don't look at me. Noogie's out of town. Mr. Nello, it's just for tonight. She tells him that she doesn't have a babysitter, and then when he basically tells her she's SOL, and then asks what Annie's doing there, Annie says she's babysitting and gives her a wink. So I think that's really sweet that Annie steps up to protect her. Seems like it's this girl's first night, and as they get talking, we get a little bit more into her backstory. Her name is Dorothy. She has bruises on her leg that she's covering up as she's talking to Annie, and she explains that she's actually on the run for an abusive ex-husband. And that she's staying at a motel by the airport until she can save up enough money from working as a cocktail waitress to get her own place. So it's a first night. Her uniform is a short sequin dress with a silver, not sequin, but sparkly top hat. And unfortunately, in like the first minute that we see her working, we see someone grab her ass, causing her to spill all her drinks. The manager, who's already told her off about having the baby in the club, along with the owners, gives her a really disapproving look, which is really shame. But speaking of shame, they brought Nathan Lane in as a guest star, and his role gets pretty juicy. These are the jokes that he's telling. Come, I turned down a chance to be an extra in Coma Part 2. Not bad. What? Not great, but not bad. Go to bottle his jokes and settle for sleeping pills. I know it's hard to believe. I I used to work in the stock exchange. Until one of the brokers told me when my IQ hit 20, I should sell. (laughs) And so if you recognize one of those voices, uh, you know, talking a little smack about his jokes. One of them's actually Frankie Valley. So we got some really solid guest stars in this episode. So, however, in a surprise to nobody, Dorothy gets fired after her first shift with not really a lot of prospects, knowing that she's stuck in that dingy motel by the airport. She's sitting in the hotel lobby looking despondent when Marty Price, a.k.a. Nathan Lane, a.k.a. the comedian, mm-hmm, invites her to come with him. And we see Annie, Nuggie's wife, ever the spy. We see her peering out, I made a gif of it, looking into the window. So she sees what's going on. He takes her upstairs. The baby's lying on the bed. They're talking fully clothed. And he's basically saying that he's going to talk to his bosses, try to rectify this in the morning and get her her job back. And she says that she's very thankful. Then he starts getting really aggressive, starts coming on to her. She says, no, 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 gets up, runs away. He pushes her into the wall, pushes her onto the floor. As he has her pinned down, she hits him in the face. He says something along the lines of like, oh, that's how you want it, hits her back. She's finally able to get him off of her, runs back, finds a steak knife from room service and he still is coming towards her come on we're gonna trade favors tit for tit you wash my back I'll wash yours good for her as she's leaving the room She's putting her baby in her 
It's not really a duffel bag. It's kind of like a big overnight bag. Basically, it's like a bigger version of the Neverfull by Louis Vuitton. And she sees some papers on the table and stuffs them in there. We don't know why. Maybe she's taking it to pat her bag a little bit to cover up her baby. Maybe she just, you know, wants a little bit of protection. Who knows? But these papers are going to change the trajectory of her stay in Miami. And when Miami Vice is on the scene, Tubbs has to stay. Definitely not a funny way to die. Uh, but again, please go to the gallery. See all the decor from this episode. There is a shell lamp, black curtains, black sheet, black marble bed frame. What looks to be a bird fixture on the other side of the room. And then you have like the green paint, the decor. It is a wild room. Very much in love with it. And once Crockett arrives on the scene, despite being off, so very much, I'm not even supposed to be here today, energy, which I can appreciate. They talk a little bit and they hypothesize like what might've happened? Was it his owners? Like who, who would have offed them in that scenario? And they were also wondering why they were on the scene. And it turns out because the owners want to open up a casino. So they're trying to see if there's any link to any improprieties It's not just a regular homicide if there is a link to some kind of shady organized business. Now, we see Annie once again in the hallway talking to Trudy. I'm going to give props to Annie because she doesn't give up the girl's location. They even ask Annie, oh, do you know where she's staying? My lips are sealed. Trudy was, however, able to get the address of the motel from the manager at the casino, not casino, manager at the hotel who let her go last night and boy oh boy did i mention that she's staying at a motel by the airport and that siesta rate is four (laughs) dollars in a surprise to nobody the motel is incredibly run down with holes in the wall again this poor girl her name uh in real life is esther balint she i'll talk a little bit about her born vice tea but very cool history so dorothy as she's there with her baby gets a knock on the door. She puts the baby once again in her brown bag for protection. And these two gentlemen in very interesting masks, they're kind of like sheer, so they kind of obscure facial features, and I guess for CCTV as well. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it. It's kind of like wearing someone else's face on your face. So it kind of maybe just like blurs the features together i'm not making any sense please go see the gallery to know what i'm talking about because i don't have the words for it today as they barge into the room they're asking for papers and she has no idea what they're talking about she's like papers papers what are you talking about and it's at this time that the guys have already broken into the room and brandishing guns that crockett and tubbs come to the crime scene they hear the screaming they hear the commotion they bust down the door they're able to shoot and chase the other guys off Dorothy takes her baby while this is all going on, runs to the bathroom and barricades and locks herself in the bathroom. Crockett's knocking the door. He's trying to identify himself as police. By the time he finally gets the door open after it's safe, she's booked it. And as they make their way outside, Crockett chases after her car, trying to explain that he's a cop. He's here to help her while the car full of bad guys tries to chase him and run him over. And I will give credit, I think I made a gif of this, of 
Crockett rolling down on the ground to escape getting hit by the car or to avoid getting hit by the car and then just standing up and his outfit is like still impeccable like it's light baby blue pants and a white blazer and he still looks like a million bucks so kudos to the stuntman on that and so with that we're back at the precinct and they're all meeting and looking over what appears to be photo booth photos with an ashtray in the middle of course for a sunny and discussing what might be the motive. They just don't understand how Dorothy, the young mother in question, comes into play. Trudy and Gina give a little bit more backstory. Annie said Dorothy told her stories about being beaten by her husband back in New York. That's what drove her and the baby to Miami. I called him there, he was no help. But I did find out from NYPD that Dorothy tried twice in the past six months to have him arrested, assault and battery. So maybe Morty wanted to have a little s and part, and Dorothy wasn't up for it. And then Kanata and Doss sort her a hit, because she snuffed out their old friend. Yeah, maybe a vendetta. Mm-mm. It doesn't add up. Yeah. Well, why would they want to risk blowing a multi-million dollar shot at a casino racket on a vendetta against a cocktail waitress? And it's also during this meeting or this briefing at OCB that we get a little bit more background into the hotel owners. So Frank Doss, I think I'm pronouncing that right, was convicted of murder way back in the day before becoming partners with Johnny Canada, working together in Las Vegas, and they're trying to bring legalized gambling to Miami. That's why they were talking about why would they want to risk a huge legalized gambling racket for a vendetta against a cocktail server. So just to give a little bit more of a background, then let's talk or let's eavesdrop on the owners themselves in this next clip. You were supposed to get the papers, not start World War Three. What? I don't want to hear it. No. It's not their fault that he showed up. It's your fault we're in this mess to begin with. You had to place bets with that jackass friend of yours, Price. Hey, have a little respect. The guy's dead. Yeah, so's our chances of turning this joint into a legit casino. There we go. Now we understand what those papers are. So it's more important than we made it out to be initially. If they're trying to off some poor mother to get them, it turns out so these betting tally sheets. I don't know if I'm making any sense of that. But proof that there was illegal gambling going on in this establishment between owners that are looking to get into legitimate legalized gambling and open up a casino doesn't look so hot in their favor. So this makes a little bit more sense. While the owners are talking, we see a familiar face. We see Robbie, Crockett's friend, drop in for a visit. Turns out He's in business with these guys. Talk? About what? You were talking about business. Your business. I don't want anything to do with your business. What business? No business. Frank made a couple of bets. Uh, which the markers got misplaced. All right, whatever you say. Don't candy coat it. If he's using our money, he ought to know. He ought to help. Well, you're getting your money back with interest. Say, listen, from now on, I'll mail you the checks. And he storms out of the office, the green painted office, into the pink painted walkway. So he seems like he's paying back a loan, paying rent. We'll get a little bit more into that later on the episode. However, I agree 100% with Frankie Valley. You should know. 
you should know exactly what business you're working for and you should know everything they do because it could all come down on you one day and you never know and you should be able to protect yourself. So Frankie Valley, voice of reason. Something also to keep in mind as a viewer is that Castillo ordered Zito and Switek to do surveillance of all the comings and goings of the Shelburne Hotel or the Shelburne. And Trudy and Gina were to get jobs working undercover. So we see Gina working as a cocktail server and we see Zito and Switek set up with a video camera. So everyone who has come and gone from the establishment is on camera. We stop by in this next scene at Celebrity Burger, which is the food truck where Annie is working with astronomical prices. Basically, there's this scene. I didn't include it, but it was just kind of for comic relief where these two teenagers come up where they want three burgers, fries and two Cokes. But, you know, because it's Celebrity Burger, it's like Steven Spielberger, Mr. Ice Tea, all that. And she quotes the total as being like $27, which we did the math last time for the lobster, which was around $26, $27, which would be like $75 in today's dollars. So, yeah, of course, the kids laugh and walk away. And it's at this time that they start asking Annie for some more questions. They basically tell her that Dorothy is target practice for these guys and that her life is in danger. Annie says she'll give them a little bit more info if she finds anything, offers them some burgers on the house. And where reality meets fiction. Thanks, but no thanks. He doesn't eat meat. And it's true, Philip Michael Thomas was a vegetarian while filming Miami Vice and still is today, even has a vegan cookbook. So I think that was very cool that they kind of uh, put that little detail in again. You know, it's kind of been played out with like the hot dogs and the he doesn't drink alcohol either. So he's always having virgin coladas or another drink. So I think this is very cool to kind of keep it true to who he is. And then in a super sad scene, we see the camera pan to a painted on rate of $10 a night for a hotel. When Dorothy gets to this hotel, walks down the street with the baby, the gates are locked and the hotel has been closed or condemned. So poor girl is just waiting around with her baby, nowhere to go. This is really sad. This is a very sad episode. And then from there, we're back at the precinct. Again, keep in mind that everybody has done some surveillance. So as Crockett invites Gina to come pour over names with them, Tubbs finds a name that rings a bell with Crockett. Robbie Kahn. Crockett doesn't want to believe it. He asked Trudy where she got her information from, asked Zeno and Switek to see their home movies as they all sit down to watch the surveillance videos. Okay, it's coming up. Here's Robert Kahn. Is it him, Sonny? Crockett doesn't answer, but we can tell that it's definitely the same guy due to his reaction. Then we go visit Robbie at his place of business. (laughs) And I'm laughing because, please go look at what this bar looks like. It is called Plaza, and it's in the Miami Vice font. Lights, two circular, I don't want to say windows, but openings with neon pink light and glass blocks in the middle. I don't know how you could be surprised that someone who owns a nightclub that looks like this might be involved with some shady business people because it's pretty obvious. (laughs) And Crockett, as handsome and as charming as he is, he is dealing with what we all do at a certain age, not being able to just get into clubs for free. 
Something you don't understand. I'm his kid's godfather. I don't care if you're his grandmother. Let me show you his birth certificate. Any friend of Robbie's, a friend of mine, you're in. And then from there, they go into the office, which is also incredibly wildly decorated. It's painted purple. Over the paint, gray, translucent, translucent squares. I'm trying to describe this the best I can, but the squares aren't even in parallel with each other. They're like different directions. It is. And then band posters over the wall. Like I see a Night Ranger poster, a Guffier poster. Don't really know what the theme is of this office. It's just wild all around. And after a while of talking, Robbie gets the feeling that they're not there on a personal visit, which of course they're not. Because first things first, Crockett introduces Tubbs as his partner. He's trying to kind of get through to Robbie, let him know the people that he's doing business with, lets him know that he's onto them. It's a little hard getting through to him. The only affiliation I have with them is that they're general partners with me in the ownership of this place, Sonny. I needed money and they had it. It's that simple. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say you did do anything wrong. They're trying to kill a young girl. I don't know about that. I didn't say you did. Then what are you saying? to say do whatever it takes to cut yourself away from these guys they're bad news pal oh my god to jump back a little bit uh the only relationship i have with these mafiosos is that they're general partners in my business how does he say that so nonchalantly like you are running dirty money dirty money is feeding your family that is a big deal Oh my god, sorry. That like cognitive dissonance just blew me away when I heard it. I was like, wait, what? Like acting no so nonchalant. Oh, I don't, I don't even know these guys. Oh, they're just, you know, the main investors in my business. Jesus. <sighs> well, Robbie's business life aside, let's get to Robbie's personal life. And at this next scene, Crockett is standing very handsomely in a white shirt with a cerulean blue tie. Looking very handsome at the baptism of his godchild. And there's a very funny transition from the baby being baptized to Crockett washing his face in the sink. And I don't know what that signifies. <laughs> like, he's coming clean about who Robbie is. I, I couldn't catch it. Maybe I'm just too dumb for that one. And it's during this faux baptism thematic scene in the bathroom that Tubbs has to tell Crockett the... The ugly truth that Robert Kahn is really Robert Kanata, and that he's Johnny Kanata's son, and he's been hiding it from Crockett this whole time. <sighs> and so after receiving that bad news, Crockett doesn't say anything. He does look pissed off, to say non-eloquently, walking down the halls when this pushy guy's coming up demanding to know a little bit more about his case. Who is he, you ask? Well, he's Dorothy's ex-husband, and boy, does he have a mouth on him. Because I'll get a private detective to find her. He'll do a lot better job than the Dick Tracy Club you got here. Why? You having trouble finding somebody new to smack around? 
I'll give you a reason to hit someone, pal. Take it easy. Maybe it doesn't turn you on when somebody hits back. Is that right? Honey, crack it. Is that right? Hey, honey. Crack it. Surprise, surprise, Castillo is not in favor of Crockett beating on a visitor, even if he happens to be a wife beater. But Tubbs, in act of solidarity, I made a gif of this, Crockett shoves him one last time against the wall, and then Tubbs just shoves him with one hand against the wall, too, as like a final F you, which I really appreciated, because he is a wife beater, so let's not have any sympathy for him. But unfortunately, Castillo has to take Crockett off of the Marty Price. Remember, Marty Price is the deceased comedian that started this whole investigation. So Crockett is now off the case. Crockett, naturally pissed off, goes home. He's in a salon on his houseboat looking over old pictures. There's an old picture of Crockett wearing his 88 blue jersey for his college football days with Robbie wearing 83. So I didn't know that they went that back. I thought that they were together in Vietnam in the same troop. I hope I'm using this verbiage correctly. But I didn't know that they went all the way back to college. Maybe it's a continuity thing, but he's looking over this old picture. He's looking over the baptism piece paper when Tubbs comes to visit him. Crockett naturally doesn't really want to hear it. Tubbs, however, drops a truth bomb in this next clip that all of us should listen to. You got to beef with everybody, except the one person you should have got it together with from Jump City. Now, you knew Robbie was giving you a line. And now you're just mad at yourself for trying so hard not to hear it. Wow, haven't we all done that? Haven't we been angry at someone for the actions of someone else? How wise. I love that. Message. Oh, and on a more depressing note, continuing the sad saga of Dorothy, she's at a payphone, which I will note, a lot of you kids are not going to know what I'm talking about. There's a woman knocking on the glass of the payphone, wanting to use the phone next. This was my ultimate pet peeve, especially when I was in Europe as a teenager and making like super long calls because I got a calling card. So I wasn't going to charge my friends anything on their phone bill. And I could talk for hours and you'd have people come and knock and you're like, no, 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 no. And I try to explain it in like every language I could like French and German and Spanish and English. I'm like, no, no, no. Shaking my head, like, go away, go somewhere else. And they would just like continue to wait. And it was so irritating because there's so, this was back when phone booths were a thing. So I just got so irritated watching the mother and daughter knock on the door. I'm like, leave her alone. She's fleeing an abusive husband. She has nobody. And speaking of, she's calling her father, asking him for help to bring Stevie, not even her, Stevie, her baby back to New Jersey. And the phone call doesn't really end and as she wants it to. She ends up falling asleep in the phone booth when we see Annie, our angel Annie, come tap on the phone booth, wake her up, and stick her hand out. And Dorothy sticks her hand on the glass as well, which I think is very sweet and poignant. And now back to Cocaine Palace Central. We are back at Plaza, our favorite discotheque. And... Obviously, Robbie's still super defensive. Him and Crockett are arguing. He doesn't really want to hear it. Robbie doesn't want to take responsibility for going into business and not being able to escape his family name. He's basically saying that he was able to escape his family name for so long, for 12 years, that he was able to go and be on his own, but that he had trouble after coming back from Vietnam to stand on his own two feet. And that's when he started to accept his family's help. More in this clip. supposed to do? Send my father to prison? I mean, what do you want from me, Sonny? I mean, for the first time since we landed back in the world, I feel like a man. I got a wife, a kid. 
a business. I can hold my head up in the street. Is that what being a man is? Standing by and letting that girl get blown away so that you can live high on the hill? Oh my god. So I'm, I'm on Crockett's side for various reasons, but... I do sympathize with Robbie not being able to stand his own two feet. And I do believe that his family probably set him up to fail. So therefore, he would always be indebted to his family. So he could never really extradite himself from it. However, this is my pet peeve. And I see this a lot on Instagram where people will post blah, 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 blah. Like this is the problem with my parents' generation and this and how they raised me and all this trauma, which fine. We all have generational trauma. I was even just reading a very interesting article on how trauma can actually affect your DNA and pass on to your children. So it's not just environmental. It's also within you. I'll try to link it if I can find it. However, the majority of these people are accepting money from their parents, living with their parents, and you can't really have it both ways. I don't think it's fair to criticize your parents' behavior and what they did and then also take money from them at the same time if you really want to be independent separate yourself from your parents financials and these are not 25 year olds i'm talking about so this does irk me to some degree that it is possible to become independent from your family it's very hard but you can but you can't play it both ways so you know you can't play savior and martyr so this is where robbie's kind of gotten himself into the pickle and Crockett's trying to get through to him and break it down a little bit more in this next clip. If you can get up in the morning and look in the mirror and be proud of what you see, then you fulfill that obligation. If you can't, then you're worth nothing to nobody. Not to yourself, not to Julia, not to me, and certainly not to your son. <sighs> Maybe you're right. Maybe I am nothing. And it's at this point in the scene that Robbie takes a gun clicks the safety off and points it to his head. This is where I really feel bad for Crockett. This is his second friend who's come back into his life and pointed a gun at his head and threatening to off himself. I didn't want to include a clip of it because you can't hear um, the click. And just in case you're driving, that's not really, you don't want to hear, you know, the safety being taken off a gun. So if you're new to the podcast, I don't include scenes of gunfire or guns going off just so it doesn't scare the bejesus out of you while you're driving. So trying to be conscious of that. However, Crockett is handling this like a pro. He doubles down, offers to call Julia, and Robbie does not react well to that. Wife can see what you really are. I know what's right for me, you. The man I knew who always did what it took. And it hurt sometimes, but he did it. Because that's the only thing that got us out of the jungle with our minds. There was no me lie in our unit. You and me, Robbie. You and me. We refused to throw those POWs out of the choppers, no matter what the rest of the world was saying. We did the right thing. That's what being a man is all about. Not standing by and letting Ross and your father put holes in a young girl. They'll kill my baby, Sonny. Don't you get it? If you let them do this, you won't be able to look at your son. Well, I do appreciate the scene that Crockett is trying to hearken back to the Robbie that he knew in Vietnam and trying to remind him that they did the right thing by not 
I can't even imagine this, throwing POWs out of a chopper, which naturally, of course, is the right thing to bring them back home. Furthermore, when he's talking about that he's worried about his father killing his son, therefore his father killing his grandson, I don't think any mafioso, no matter how murderous and vengeful they are, murdering their own grandson, I think that's completely out of the question. I understand that Robbie would be concerned for his own safety, his wife's safety. I think the grandson pretty much off limits. Well, I hope so. So with that, both of them seem to have calmed down a little bit. Robbie says that he wants to call Julia before anything goes further. So as Crockett is waiting outside of the office, waiting for him to finish up this supposed phone call with Julia, he notices that Robbie's made a break for it runs across the crowded club and in true Crockett fashion, I understand this looks better for television, where he just barrels through the crowd, shoving people out of his way to chase Robbie. And he is able to chase him for a little bit. However, uh, he ends up getting into it with a truck full of what appears to be frozen fish, spins out and loses Robbie in the process. It turns out that Robbie is actually going to visit Dorothy, who is staying at Annie's apartment. So we see Robbie, Jimmy with the door, Dorothy, naturally, this poor girl has had the worst two days of her life, get the baseball bat, about to attack him, and he kind of pushes her up against the wall, tries to quiet her down, and explains that he wants to give her $1,000 to get her to leave town. So he actually wants to protect her. And with that, as that's going on, they hear someone coming back at the door again. Unfortunately, this time it's not Crockett. Crockett is actually on his way to find Annie, who is working at the Celebrity Burger food truck. Takes her in the car, drives at full speed. Please go look at the gallery. You can just see like the eyes bulging out of her head, how terrified she is as she's on her way to her apartment. And then back at the apartment, the goons, sorry, the hired goons. Hired goons? are once again coming in, guns drawn, going after these papers. Them and Robbie engage in a shootout, and it's during the shootout that Robbie unfortunately does get hit in what appears to be the shoulder. Crockett comes in to save the day, shoots the rest of the bad guys. As he's sitting down by the bed, he hears one more guy. Turns out that it's Tubbs coming to back him up. He goes over to see Robbie. Robbie's been hit, but luckily he's gonna be okay. You'll be all right. I did the right thing, Sonny. Yeah, man. You did the right thing. And luckily, Dorothy is as well. She was barricaded in the bathroom during the shootout. And as we freeze frame out of this episode, you can just see the exasperated look on Crockett's face. (laughs) So happy that that day has come to an end. And this episode is also coming to an end. So let's count them down. Let's talk about some of our favorite looks. Now we had a lot of great colors this episode. Robbie's blazer in the open, Crockett's textured pink undershirt in the open as well. However, I gotta give it to Crockett with the off-white gray striped blazer. We've seen a few other episodes, but he just looks so handsome and pensive standing by the office waiting for Robbie to make his call. And then naturally, a best-dressed woman, I'm going to give it to Annie. She owns this entire episode. She is just able to make such 
fun, funky looks with whatever she's got going on. Lots of fun wigs. But I really like when we first see her in the chartreuse cutout top, the belt, the lace pants. Such a great figure. She pulls it off amazingly. So those are my choices for best dress. Now, best decor, as a surprise to nobody, is going to be Marty Price, aka Nathan Lane's bedroom with the insane decor that I was mentioning earlier. The marble, <laughs> the marble bed frame, the shell lamp, the bird, whatever it is. It looks like it might be a lamp as well, or maybe it's just for decor. That room is just insane with the green wallpaper, chef's kiss. And now for music. So we open with Go For A Soda by Kim Mitchell, which I spoke about. The song that gets Robbie to dance on the pool table is Sweet Soul Music by Arthur Conley. Own the Night by Shaka Khan is playing at another scene where they're at the Plaza nightclub. And then No Guarantees by The Nobodies is a song playing during the car chase that I really enjoyed. I think that's going to be my pick for top song. Just like really, just a great banger, great song for our car chase. And as much as I do want to give it to the Canadian, I'm going to have to give it to the nobodies for no guarantees. And since we had a plethora of guest stars this episode, we had James Remar as Robbie, Nathan Lane as Marty Price, and of course, Frankie Valley as Frank Doss. But upon research, this vice tea is pretty somber. So let's start off with Nathan Lane, Marty Price. His name, his birth name was actually Joseph Lane, which I learned doing a little bit of research. Nothing too scandalous on his front. Of course, you'll know him from Broadway, from the producers, and he's been in a ton of movies, um, everything from The Birdcage to Stuart Little. Also very funny, he was also on Sex and the City along with James Remar. Now, James Remar, you'll know him from everything from The Warriors, Dexter, also Sex in the City as my favorite boyfriend, even though he was a cheater, still my favorite. However, his personal life is a little bit interesting and I'm gonna give him definite props for this. So he was actually kicked off the Aliens movie. And at the time in the mid eighties when this happened, it was never really publicly spoken about. The cast and the crew didn't really say anything. I think the reason was creative differences and he was thereby replaced with Michael Bean. He did reveal on a podcast not too long ago that the reason was that he had a big drug problem. The reason he said at the time was that he had to go back home and work on some things. So it turns out that it was a big drug problem and that he had been sober ever since. So kudos to him. A little bit of research again led me to Reddit, so take this with a grain of salt, but apparently that police found heroin in his room and that led to his firing. And it also led to a rift in the friendship and the working relationship he had with Walter Hill, who was the director of the Warriors and who had directed him in 48 hours. But however, he's been happily married since the late 80s, steadily working as an actor, doing voiceover, doing commercials, and then also appearing on screen. So... We love a success story. And then finally, our last guest star that we're going to talk about, Frankie Valley. You'll know him from either the Broadway hit Jersey Boys, which was touring all around North America for a long time, as well as the subsequent movie that came out that was directed by Clint Eastwood. When I was doing a little bit of digging into his background, it was actually pretty sad. So he'd been married three times. And in the same year, 1980, his daughter, who was already estranged from, died of a drug overdose. And unfortunately, six months previously, his other daughter also died falling off a fire escape. So 
No parent should outlive their child, and especially no parent should outlive their children. So my heart goes out to him to have those two grand losses in one year. I can't even imagine, but, you know, love a success story for him to have sold his story and to brought it back to the masses and been really involved with the production of Jersey Boys. And he's still living today. He was born in 1953. So kudos to all of our guest stars for overcoming adversity. And thank you once again for listening to Vice and Easy. If you're interested, you can follow me on all things social at Vice and Easy Podcast. Try to make funny memes. Maybe they work. Maybe they don't. You can always, as for every episode, see the gallery in either the episode description or you can also go to the website at viceandeasypodcast.com and find the link through the episode page there. Thank you for liking, for subscribing, for sending me lovely messages that keep me motivated to do this each and every week as I get to relive my favorite thing with each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. And as always, Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.